tonight we're going to continue our series that we have titled Which Means. Um, and so this, the heart of this series has been we really need to see God rightly. When we see him rightly and see him as he really is, as he reveals himself to us, then it makes all of life make sense, right? So that's the heart of what we're going after so in this series, and I, I hope you've enjoyed the, the topics we've been going through and, and how we've been bringing out these attributes of who God is and the discussion that brings out. Um, and I would encourage you tonight, as we get into our, our, our topic tonight, um, that if you have a journal or a phone or something to write notes, um, I would encourage you to do so. Um, as we're going, I think it's just always great to have a place to write down your yeah, buts, or your but what abouts, because those are really important for us to engage what's really going on inside of us and bring them out into the open that we can actually discuss them and talk about them and wrestle with them because they're really good. You have questions, so let them out, right? So as we're going, uh, uh, don't interrupt me because that's not the place for that, um, but, <laughs> but if you have questions, write them down and let's talk. Let's talk afterwards, bring it up with your small group leader, um, and, and we'd love to dive into it because tonight... Our, our topic is holiness. God is holy. And that right there is a, sometimes a very touchy thing because we're getting at the foundation of these biblical words like sin and, uh, and why we care about sin in Christianity, why it's a big deal, why the Bible often refers to sinners and it can be really off-putting at times. Now, maybe you're in the room and you're like, finally, we're talking about sin, you know? And maybe you're on the other side and you're like, okay, I don't know if I want to be here tonight. This is, this is the night, right? Um, we're here. We're talking about holiness. Uh, if you feel uncomfortable and one out, I, I, wanna, I just want to let you know I see you. And I've seen you as I was writing this because I think this topic really matters. And I really want to address how do we see God rightly? when it comes to his holiness in a way that makes sense as us as his creation that we can lean into him, right? And my hopefully, hopefully as we go, we'll be able to strip away some of the baggage we carry from church hurt or just misconceptions of the Bible or Christianity or assumptions we have about God. Hopefully we can get at a clearer picture the ground floor of what holiness is all about. Because we're talking about his very nature, right? And so we need to see him rightly. So uh, I, I do believe as we go that you will find yourself viewing God with a little bit more trust as we see his holiness. And hopefully it'll also expand your view of him. His, the magnitude of who he is will grow and you also see that him as is purely good. But we'll also see what his holiness does. And that is really, really cool when we look at the Bible. So I want to pray, and then, and then we'll get into God is holy. So Jesus, would you come and direct me tonight? Um, I, w I want to communicate you. Lord, help us to see you rightly tonight and see you in your holiness tonight because you are holy. But what does that mean for us? So guide us, Lord, and help us to have open hearts to you and your word. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, okay, so last week, Catherine talked about God is glorious. God is glorious. And, uh, and she went to a couple places in Exodus, if you remember. And if you don't remember, or you weren't here last week, that's okay, because we have a Milwaukee Chi Alpha podcast, and it's on the podcast. You can go listen to it. Um, we've been keeping up with the sermons on the podcast. Um, but where Catherine went with that sermon, she looked at Exodus 33 and 34, and viewing God as he, God reveals his glory to Moses, right? And, and God puts Moses in the cleft of the rock and then like puts his hand over him and lets his, God's glory pass in front of him, right? But holds, keeps him secure. So God is glorious so we, don't, uh, so we are secure was where she was going with that. And it was really beautiful. And you want to hear that and go back to that. But there was a couple passages, a couple verses in those passages that I think are worth going after a little bit. We kind of talked about it. Like This also helps us see a little bit of his holiness. And so I want to go first to Exodus 33, 34, 33, 33. I don't think I kept that one on the... I did, yes, great. I wasn't sure if I put it on the screen. Um, and so Catherine looked at like verse 12 through 23. I just want to look at the last couple of verses from this scene to kind of get us started here, right? So again, Moses has just asked God to reveal, show Moses his glory. And so God says, okay, I will, I will. And then this is what he says, though, verse 20 but he, God, said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see my face and live. I don't know if you caught that last week, when God says, you can't see my face and live. But he continues on, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and, I will, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Now, there's a whole lot of beauty as Catherine drew, pulled out from that idea of God putting him securely in the rock and, and covering him, keeping him secure with his hand. But there's this other side of it, of the fact that we can't even see God's face and live. And I don't know if you ever thought about that, but that basically means God is dangerous to us. Just face-to-face -face God is dangerous to us. That's a bit scary. Uh, maybe that's a little like, yeah, that's what I mean. Holiness, I don't want to go there because I don't want to, you know, right? There's like, this is messy. This is hard to understand. Is God actually good if I can't even see his face and live, right? But I want to even go back a little bit further in Exodus chapter 3 and read a scene, which you probably are familiar with, um, but it's the scene of uh, where Moses sees the burning bush, and God speaks to him from a burning bush. And there's some cool phrases here in this scene. I think they'll help us kind of investigate a little bit about what does it mean that God is holy. So uh, let's read Exodus 3, verse 1 through 8. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Well, yeah, that's kind of, okay, okay, wow. weird, wild, right? So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. That's what I would have done too. Why the bush does not burn up. 
When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, take note of that, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into a good, spa- good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Okay, there's a lot of names there. And that's another sermon. We could talk about that. We're, not, we're going before that, okay? We see this picture of God coming down. That's what it says. It says, God, I have come down because I've seen I'm concerned. But if you notice in the scene, right, when he gets to the bush and God speaks to him, he says, this space is holy ground. And maybe you've heard that phrase before, holy ground. So he says, take off your sandals. Moses realizes God, he hides his face, right? He's afraid. And we're getting the same kind of language here that we see in Exodus 33 about God's holiness. When you encounter who God is, when he comes down, (coughs) there's something about his essence, his holiness, that is terrifying and dangerous to us. What in the world is this about? Now, maybe this isn't all that new to you, but I'm going to guess there's a few people that this is a kind of a new idea of God and his holiness is dangerous. What is going on? I think it's worth mentioning what, what does the word holy really mean? I think let's just define that quickly. Holy, holy literally means like unique, set apart, sacred, and dedicated. Like that's the ideas that are getting at when we say holy, we're saying God is holy. God is unique. He is sacred. He is set apart. There is none like him. He is pure. Right? And kind of a good analogy, and and the Bible Project picks this up. You can go watch their video on holiness. I think it's really helpful. Um, But they describe God's holiness like the sun, like the sun is to us, right? So uh, imagine the sun, right, burning ball of gas, (laughs) incredibly dangerous to us if we get too close, but yet is also the source of life on our earth. If we don't have the sun, and if we're not in the correct distance, which is the fine-tuning of the universe, that's a beautiful argument. I love that. But if we're not in this specific location, our world is destroyed because of the sun, and yet we're perfectly, like, life exists because we're near the sun. But if we were to be to get any closer, we would be, we'd burn up. And, it, and that's the, kind of the idea here that God, it's not that the sun is bad, the sun is good. But we can't get too close to it because we're, we're, we're not like it, we're not made to be, we're not like equipped to get in there, right? And it's kind of like that with God and his holiness. 
And God, where he comes in, where he is, and, and the space around him is holy, pure, and sacred, and we are not God. And that's kind of where I wanted to start with when we talk about which means God is holy, which means I am not. It's like, I'm, I'm not holy. I, I can't get too close. And it's kind of, if you go back to Genesis 3, this is the, the narrative of the Bible, as this fall happens, where we are now like there's a chasm between us and, and God. Now, some of you might be already like saying, yeah, but what about, what about the fact that we're made in his image? And I think that is an incredibly important question to bring into this in this very moment, because we are made in God's image. And in that sense, we are unique, we are set apart, we're distinct, and if it's his image imprinted on us, then we too are, are sacred. In fact, we deeply hold to that conviction, conviction that every single human is sacred, that your mind, your spirit, and your body is sacred. And in that sense, holy. Humanity is holy because we are made in his image. And yet, there's also this other side of it, that though we are made in his image and therefore holy, like he is holy, we are also not holy because we are not God. And we love to live for ourselves. And there's been a corruption that happens on a really deep level. And just to kind of draw that idea out just a smidge, because we go a long time on that. But even in Exodus 34, like Catherine, Catherine talked about last week, describing how, how God describes himself to Moses he, he gives this beautiful, essentially, name. He said, the Lord, the Lord, which he's saying, I am Lord, right? Lord, he is the one in control, not us. Lord, 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 the one who is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love or, faith or, or loving kindness and faithfulness. And there's a couple other uh, places in Scripture, because that name keeps getting repeated over and over. But in Jonah and in Joel, that same list is included, but then it adds, one who relents from sending calamity. This idea of God is someone who, who relents from bringing about destruction. And I just want to pause and say, like, I think we all have this innate part of us that says, yes, yes, God is, is good He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He is gracious. I feel that. We long for that. We all crave that. That is God in his holiness. And yet we also would have to look at ourselves and say, but I am, I'm not those things all the time. I struggle to be compassionate. I struggle to be slow to anger. I am not gracious all the time with people around me. And, and if we were to take an honest look at ourselves, we'd recognize the reality of, I am not like God. And yet I also long to be like, there's a, there's a distinctiveness of who he is that we innately long to be like that. We long for that to be in our world. I believe that God has imprinted his, that, that part of holiness into who we are. We long for a world that is sacred and treats others as sacred that we are compassionate and gracious and slow to anger toward others. This is holiness. This is God's holiness and his very nature. He relents from sending calamity. 
And I really love that line. We're going to keep coming back to that idea tonight. Now, as we're going through this idea of holiness, we have to pause and also acknowledge the fact that we often look at holiness as a set of actions and behaviors and things we ought to do. We do holy things. We should act holy. And I would say there is lots of that, and we can talk about that, but I would also say that is uh, a byproduct of God's holiness. That there's something about down in our heart being made holy, being holy rather than just doing holy, if that makes sense. There's something about who we are that we just struggle even to, to from the uh, heart level to do and want to do and follow through with the things we want to do and to be like God. And I think this is the, the biblical narrative is kind of walking us through this reality of our humanity and the, uh, investigating the chasm between us and God. We've already kind of looked at Exodus, right? We've looked at Exodus 3 and looked at Exodus 33 and 34 a little bit. And really, Exodus gets this really cool scene of God, he comes down. Like, that's the phrase that over and over, God comes down, which is really cool. He's in the burning bush, he says, I have come down. And, and then later in Exodus, it talks about the tabernacle, God, which is really creating a sacred space where God can come down and be among them. Like, Israel is so excited that God is with them. And they don't want to be any people that is part from God. They want to go where God is because he, he is where they want to be. But then if you get to Leviticus, Leviticus, if you've ever, how many have read Leviticus? Let's just be honest. Okay, yes, yes. There's a few of you. Let's go. Leviticus is a bit hard to read, especially just on its own, straight through, without any context. Yeah, it's a rough read. But Leviticus is essentially like, okay, God gives him this sacred space where he's going to be, his presence and his holiness. But then Leviticus happens, and early on in it, we get this scene of like two of the priests come in, they waltz in, as it says, in an impure state, and they die. They got too close to the sun of God's holiness, and it's like, whoa, whoa, fearful, whoa, 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 wait, wait, I thought God was good, right? And it brings up all these questions, and the people are all torn up about, like, ah, God is, I don't, I don't know if I want to be near this God, right? And so the whole rest of the book of Leviticus is God giving them uh, essentially ritual and moral laws and practices to help them become pure so that they can be in the presence of God, essentially giving them an awe and a reverence in how to interact with the holy, interact with God's holiness. Like, that's Leviticus. And at the end of the book, it works. They couldn't go into, Moses couldn't even get into, and then in Numbers, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says that Moses does enter. And so, like, what happens, excuse me, what happens in Leviticus helps the people know how to be among God and view him with awe and reverence and treat him as sacred and holy because that's who he is. And he deserves our utmost reverence. But yet, Leviticus shows us it is dangerous to get too close to him when we are in impure state. And there's a whole lot there. And again, if you have whatabouts, and write those questions down about that. We don't have time to get into all of that tonight. 
There's a lot there. But what, I want to keep moving through this biblical narrative of how the people of God are interacting with the holy, with God, right? So they learn in Leviticus how to do this, and yet as the generations go on, they continue to not trust God and not follow him and abuse this relationship with God and misunderstand who God is, and it gets corrupt. And you see the cycle, the cy- just in Judges alone, the cycle of how they view themselves and view God and what they do with all of that, it's a, it's a train wreck. And then they become a nation and a kingdom, and it, it same thing, rebellions and all kinds of stuff happens. We get to a point in later in this period where there are, there are a kingdom, and this guy shows up. His name is Isaiah. He's a prophet. But Isaiah, early, and he writes a book. We can go read about it, Isaiah. It's, it's a great one. There's a lot of Jesus stuff in Isaiah. But in Isaiah chapter 6, there's this crazy scene. Isaiah has a crazy vision where he waltzes into God's presence. And I put this on the screen because I think this is really good. I, Isaiah chapter 6. There it is. Verse 1 through 7. It says, okay, in the year the king Uzziah died, okay, we get a little history. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, angelic beings. Each had six wings, okay, cool creatures, with two wings that covered their faces. Faces, big deal. Okay, all right, continue on. Uh, With two, they covered their feet, and two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now I want to pause. Many of us have probably sung these words before in a song. And they're very common words. Holy, holy, holy. We just kind of say them as repeated words. But this, this is really, the fact that there's three is a big deal in Hebrew. Right? To say something was the utmost, he'd like, you just repeat it twice. Holy, holy is like, that's the holiest of all holies. And this is basically like, yeah, that times infinity, right? For us, we kind of, you know, infinity plus one. But that's this. In, their, in the most utmost way of telling everyone that God is the most holy, nothing, nothing ever can possibly compare to God's holiness and his purity, his sacredness and his power, all of it in glory and might. Holy, holy, holy. That is what the author is conveying here. That's what these angelic beings are singing endlessly because he is that magnificent in his holiness. The whole earth is full of his glory. But continues on, at the sound of their voices, the Torah posts and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. But here's where I want us to watch. Watch Isaiah's reaction. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So there's an altar here. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Now, maybe this doesn't strike you as anything special. But in this scene, we, we see what happens when Isaiah all of a sudden encounters pure, incredible holiness. And his reaction is say, woe is me, I am I'm ruined. Just like 
Moses, when God tells Moses, you can't even see my face and live, right? Same thing, only now Isaiah's in this, and this is just a vision, but like he's there, and he's just, I'm, I'm ruined. I am unclean. I can't be here, right? And he innately feels the reality of this is glorious, and yet I am not that. But what's interesting in this scene is what happens next, right? In verse, those the last two verses. What, what happens after he says this? Because this angelic being, right, on God's behalf, he comes and purifies him. Now, this is radical because up to this point, the relationship between what is clean and unclean, right, when you touch something unclean, you become unclean, right? Uh, if you ever cook with raw chicken, you, you wash your hands right before you cook. But as soon as you touch raw chicken, you, you don't make the chicken clean. Your hand becomes unclean, right? Like, that's how it works. That's what happens with things that are unclean. We become unclean. And yet, here, when God touches something that is unclean, he's not made unclean. Isaiah is made clean. Now that's huge. That's really important, right? Because God has never been threatened by our uncleanness. God has never been threatened by our unholiness. God is not saying, icky, I can't, I got to get away from that. As if he's like in some way like going to be tainted. That's not how he is. The reason there's any distance is not because he doesn't want to be tainted. It's because he doesn't want to destroy the us. It's like, I, I, I'm, I care about you, right? And so I'm going to move you out so that you aren't destroyed by my holiness. And God, again, from that point on, moves on a rescue mission of bringing his creation back into a restored relationship with us. But that is where the tension lies. And that is what this gospel is, is there is a chasm. And God is not saying, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with you. He's saying, I care about you so much. And I want to save you from that which is destroying you. Now, some of you, right, some of you might be like, I just want to pause here, like Isaiah's words, woe is me, I am unclean. Some of you may be feeling those words, maybe not any of those specific words, but that idea yourself. Maybe here you're tonight, like if you are honest with yourself inside, you, you feel that. I am unclean. And maybe with it you feel layers of shame, you feel dirty. You feel there is something deeply flawed. Maybe it's something in your past. And maybe it's something that happened to you that you didn't choose. But yet at the same time you feel this reality of you feel dirty because of what happened to you. You didn't choose it. But there's something inside of you feel unclean. And maybe you're also in the room and you're like, Feeling, yeah, it's, it's, it was my choice. I did these things. And you're feeling the reality of the things I chose, the behaviors, the addictions, the things you, you've put yourself in. You want to get out, 
but you feel stuck. You feel this reality of something inside of you is dirty. And I just want to pause because so often this idea of holiness comes in. And we've heard messages about you got to be holy and then brings in shame and condemnation about how terrible you are for messing up and have done this and done that. But when in Isaiah 6, it's not God who's saying, Isaiah, woe is you. You are unclean. Now, sure, maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting Isaiah to recognize the reality of this moment of like, you are holy and I am not. I'm going to be ruined if I stay here any longer. And yet, those are not God's words to Isaiah. That is not God's heart towards him. God is not sitting there condemning Isaiah to death. We know that because the next thing that happens is he leans in and purifies him. He washes him. He makes him clean. And this is what I want us to see tonight. God is not like us. He is utterly different. And what God does in his holiness is he leans into his creation to restore his creation, to make his creation holy, sacred, set apart, set free and brought into community with him. Like, that's what he wants to do. And if you follow the continuation of the biblical narrative past Isaiah, through the exile, which is a full of judgment, but also hope, we get to Jesus. Again, God coming down. Just like we saw him in Exodus 3, God says, yeah, come down. But now he comes down, not clothed in a bush on fire. He's clothed as a, as a human. And he walks among us, not to hide from us, but to reveal who he is and his heart to us. And what you see as Jesus moves around the the region of Jerusalem, he keeps healing people. Like in Mark chapter 1, verse 42, where he touches the leper, the person who is outcast that nobody can touch. He's unclean, unclean. Jesus comes and touches him and makes him clean, right? Holy, invading, unholy, holy coming in and making things pure. That's what he does. And then when he, we see him in, in Mark chapter 5, when the, there's a woman who's, who's been bleeding, which is ceremony, they're, they're, she is unclean and has been for years in a continual state. No one can touch her, and yet she clings to Jesus' robe and is healed in that moment. Jesus isn't made unclean. She is made whole. That is what God does. When he invades earth, he makes his creation holy, sacred, pure. And lastly, the last scene I wanted to get us to is John chapter 13. And I think this is beautiful. This is where Jesus washes his feet. And just for time, we'll kind of skip through. He's, he's recognizing what's about to happen and who, G- Judas is what he's going to do. But then verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Verse 4, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying him with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, let's just pause. I think you guys, some of you may have heard the story and know what this, this means. This was the lowest servant's job. 
because feet in that day were disgusting. This is a dirty job. Mike Rowe and dirty jobs, this is it. This is dirty work, and the lowest servant does this. And yet Jesus, holy God, gets on a towel and kneels in front, gets in the dirt, and makes, washes their feet, purifying them. And, he's, and it's, it's, it's real in that he's literally doing a service, something like washing, uh, cleaning toilets. Like that's, that's like the thing that he's doing. But he's also, it's full of symbolism. And we'll see, right? It says, verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Now, those last words might land heavy, but what he's getting at here is holiness. What he's getting at here is he's coming into the earth, and he wants to restore his creation. And he wants us to let him do the work of washing our feet of coming into our life and removing shame and condemnation and cleaning us up and making us like him. That's what his holiness does. So God is holy, which means I am not, but God is holy, which means God leans in and makes us holy. And he's delighted to do this. It ultimately is pointing to the cross where holiness and love meet perfectly. And he declares to us we are worth saving. He loves us dearly, but he also declares to us he wants to do a work in us to set us free, to wash us, to purify us, and make us holy, which is a relational term of restoring, being made sacred again, brought back into closeness and proximity to him. And all we have to do is say yes to him. Becca, if you would come and play. This is where I want us to kind of end. For us to respond to his holiness is not for us to fix ourselves up, that we're dirt. It's not even that. It's not about us being dirt. It's not about us being so bad, right? We are made in his image. We are set apart and sacred, and yet there's something that Jesus wants to do to restore us back into his holiness. But as we see Jesus coming in and invading, he's not asking anyone else to get cleaned up before you come around to me. No, he comes and he touches our lives and he wants to do a work in us. And so our reaction is simply to let him, to ask him. And so um, Becca's going to play. And just as music is playing, I I would love to give you an opportunity to stop and respond and ask Jesus to come in to your heart and ask, ask him to see if there is there are places in your heart that you have you just feel like dirt and you've been hiding, you want to push away, you want to believe or not there. You think you're the worst. Jesus, I believe, wants to come in and 
and speak life and hope and freedom to you. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, you can just sit, sit here and pray to him right here and, and he'll do it. You know, there's no magic words. You just talk to the God of the universe. He's here. He's made a way. We also believe this is something we do in community too. Just having someone to reach out to and talk to. And so there's going to be a few of us around the room to pray with you, just to be there, to process. Maybe it's just to ask some questions, to wrestle with someone. So Catherine and um, if there's anyone else, Nathan can be over there. Yeah, and I'll be over here too. Um, And we'd love to pray with you. But just as a closing here, as you're, as you're processing this, there's a whole lot more I would love to say about what does it mean to be holy and to live holy. And that comes after this reality of we receive his holiness by faith because of what Jesus did. He's the one who washes our feet. And then he invites us into a way of life that's not just about doing, but it's about being. And if you want to talk about that, we'd love to talk with you about that. Because God cares deeply about your life. And he wants to get things out of your life. But he wants you to see that he is not sitting here looking at you like, ah, icky, I don't, I don't know if I can come around you. He's saying, no, I want to, he leans into us. And he wants to be near us. And to restore, redeem, and make whole. I would encourage you to let him tonight. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you that in your holiness, you are not condemning us. Though you want to open our eyes to see what's happening, what's real, you also are leaning in to rescue because you are so full of love. You are love. And your holiness and your love are intertwined together. That's who you are. You are a good, good father. That's who you are toward us. And you are a rescuing God. Help us, Lord, to open our hearts wide to receive you washing our feet. And letting you do that kind of work in our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.